This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. I have the pleasure today of introducing Dongming Mei today, who is a professor of physics at the University of South Dakota. And Dongmin, if okay with you, I was wondering if you would describe for our audience um, what kind of work you do in physics and what type of research you're working on, just so individuals can learn more about what you're doing. And then maybe also describe for us, you know, what you're going through or what the department is going through um, in South Dakota and how can listeners help support you or better understand what's going on in different parts of the country. Oh, thank you. Thank you for introducing me to our audience. Uh, as you said that I'm a professor in physics program here, uh, University of South Dakota. So my, my research focus actually is a nuclear and a particle physics in terms of exploring uh, dark matter and the property of neutrinos using large scale underground experiments. And this type of experiments require uh, international collaboration. So this is why we, um, we were funded by National Science Foundation and under a program called the Partnership International Research and Education. So the goal of this program is to create a global partnership so that we can improve our research in terms of global collaboration and also expose our US students to international culture and also international expertise. That way we can maximize the um, knowledge in the field that allow our students from US to engage with international expertise in the field and utilizing international uh, best facilities. So that's what we so called. So under that program, so we create a collaboration called GEMDARK, which represents germanium materials and the detector advancement um, uh, uh, for research consortium. So that's uh, we so called GEMDARK. So GEMDARK basically consists of uh, 15 institutions uh, across five countries uh, in the world. So we have about 90 uh, collaborators. So we've been funded by National Science Foundation to develop germanium detectors uh, using the purest materials in the world, that is germanium crystal. Then we fabricate into radiation detectors. That way we can set up next generation uh, dark matter and the neutrino experiments. So what does that mean? So like for most of individuals that hear the word nuclear, right? Oftentimes a lot of conversation is around nuclear weapons or nuclear matter. And not a lot of us, I think, have a strong understanding of what that entails. So when you're referring to a research project that's involving multiple countries and focused on 
dark matter. What exactly is the objective of the research project? Is it to safely, and I'm making this up, but I'm just trying to like fundamentally understand what's going on. Is it to safely contain and understand how nuclear matter works so that it's managed properly? Or is it, you know, what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about nuclear and physics um, for the context of a research project? Okay, it's a very good question. So when we say nuclear, yeah, you're right. Some people may consider all oh, nuclear, which means it's like nuclear reactions that actually- yeah, Nuclear weapons. Yeah, nuclear weapons. Yeah, like, yeah political, yeah. yeah. So those are more involved with the uh, political issues. People consider of this, you know, the safety and that kind of thing. But actually uh, what we're doing in terms of nuclear phases is uh, explore uh, nuclear fundamental reactions. So one of the, um, uh, you know, of course the nuclear weapons is, is built under nuclear phases, but that's a very narrow uh, range of nuclear phases. Mm. A nuclear phases fundamentally is to study how that the uh, particle and the particle undergo nuclear force and they interact with each other. So some of the interaction like a fusion uh, or fission decays, these are under nuclear force. Now the need experiment, you know, goes going to uh, nuclear weapons or nuclear power applications, right? But that is just one branch of nuclear phases. But what we're doing here is more uh, really on fundamental property of a nuclear reaction. For example, if you have a long, um, you know, uh, non-known, we say unknown uh, particles, you know, like a dark matter, because we say, oh, we don't know what is made of dark matter. So this dark matter, it may undergo some uh, unknown reactions, which would create a nuclear recoil energy in the detector. So that's what we so-called the nuclear recoils, but it, it may not be a, a induced by a nuclear reaction. But however, it does have a, a, a nuclear part of it because it is nuclear recoils, because you know that it, we say nuclear recoils because uh, a matter is made of um, uh, atoms and atoms made of electrons and, uh, and the nucleons, right? Like protons and neutrons. But these guys, they basically uh, occupy 99.99% of the mass of an atom. So when the unknown particle come in, interact with the atom, so you, you know, if it's an unknown force, which we call the weak force, so if it's very weak, so what happened here is that the, the, the nucleus will recoil. So there'll be a very small mon, uh, energy, you know, uh, 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 passing by the interim particle. So then the nuclear uh, nucleus would recoil. So that's why we want to detect it in terms of dark matter. So is so it, so yes. to put it more simply, cause I'm trying to like understand what you're talking about. How would you relate nuclear matter. So outside, like you said, nuclear weapons and discussion, political discussions around nuclear reactions tends to be only in one category versus every single day of every single moment, there actually is a reaction, I would imagine. And a nuclear reaction is just something we may not acknowledge as something that can be very positive. So what is something that's related to nuclear? Like, is it could be like launching of spaceships where the understanding of how 
matter interacts with each other and the nuclear force, understanding that's really important to understanding how spaceships are launched, right? And understanding. Uh, uh, well, for for example, the you know spaceship uh, you know are launched is because they have some uh, um, fundamental forces. The most likely that we understand is like uh, reaction under uh, under under you know we call the action under reaction. So this is called Newton's third law of motion. So that's a very fundamental physics that it, we use some gases that actually burned and which will provide some- uh, But is that a nuclear, for someone who's not a physicist like myself or others, is that a example of like how nuclear physics could be used? Like what's a day-to-day example that we can relate to that we understand how nuclear reactions can occur that are not just nuclear weapons per se? Oh, I see. Well, that would be like uh, uh, decays, right? So, you know, x-rays and uh, people, you know, in the hospital, people use some, uh, uh, you know, nuclear product. Yeah, like, like we uh, use like, okay, so x-rays, like dent- you go to the dentist's office, you break your arm, you go to get an x-ray, right? Right, right. So these are some some sort of nuclear decays, right? So then it decay, I gave you the emission of gamma rays, and of course, that would actually uh, know, is a beta decay. So sometimes, sometimes that decay would uh, disturb in the orbital electrons, and the electrons would uh, come to fill in the inner shell and give up some X rays. So you can see X rays, gamma rays. These are typical applications of nuclear physics. Ah, uh, okay. Now that's really helpful because I don't think like myself or others necessarily acknowledge that that's a perfect example of a nuclear reaction that we encounter on a day-to-day basis or use, right, as a practical means of addressing a solution or of or um, interaction. So, okay, so nuclear can have to do with, like you said, x-rays, it could have to do with healthcare, it could have to do with um, like mechanics, like would it have to do with like cars and any uh, nuclear reactions well, with cars? Yeah. Well, the cars is not. So some, some of the nuclear reactions, uh, basically, you know, if you consider some power plants, right? So we have some nuclear power plants in the country. Some, um, you know, the uh, California probably have some nuclear power plants. And uh, these are basically is the uh, utilizing nuclear decays that create the electric- electricity. So then people use electricity on daily basis. I believe US probably is about 30 or 36% of power actually come from nuclear uh, power plants. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's helpful because I think like it's understanding for myself and the audience that nuclear reactions are not, not, are not only what we read in the newspaper or only um, what we hear about, but like there are things that we encounter on a day-to-day basis that we otherwise wouldn't know about. Mm-hmm. And so the research that you and others may be working on is not necessarily you guys as scientists working on nuclear weapons or anything of that sort that we associate, right. but the examples that you've highlighted, which could have to do with generating power, um, understanding how to improve x-rays or how to improve like the usage of such like it's something that we can identify with and better associate on a day-to-day basis which is 
I think really powerful in terms of understanding how research is not only just something that happens in a dark room somewhere that no one knows about, but it's really like the application of it. And that's what I really wanted to be able to highlight. So specifically for what you and collaborator collaborators across the world are working on is you're sharing research around nuclear physics, but you're focused specifically on what exactly? Like, what is it that you guys are collaborating on to improve? Well, we wanted to improve the sensitivity of detectors made by germanium crystals. So these are called germanium radiation detectors. So usually we use germanium radiation detectors to detect the gamma rays. You know, if it's gamma ray from nuclear decay, so germanium detector would be a good detector to detect our gamma ray. But however, germanium detector basically also can detect any small energy deposited by ionization process. If an unknown particle like dark matter, if a particle coming in, it actually interact with germanium atoms and then actually uh, neither germanium uh, nuclear recoils, we actually can detect dark matter. So that's why germanium detector has been used uh, to detect uh, dark matter particle, we try to understand what is made of universe, basically. So because we know that we have many stars in the universe out there, it's called a visible matter, but there's also some part of the universe we cannot see by our eye, which means this uh, uh, matter, they doesn't involve with electromagnetic radiation, so which is electromagnetic force. It doesn't involve with that process. So what we postulated is that in, so this part of the world only can be seen when they come to detector, interact with our ordinary matter through weak interaction. So very weakly interaction. So we want to understand what actually is made of that matter. So to- so, And then this is important or significant because if you can detect stuff that we can't visually see, how, yeah, is it helpful? Uh, that, that's why if we cannot, uh, if we can detect some matter we cannot uh, see, so which means that it, we will be able to understand what is made of that part of matter. So that matter is we call it dark matter. So you, don't, you definitely cannot see by your eye, but our detector would be able to see it. So if our detector can see them, we will be able to, you know, calculate them, understand the property of this matter. So that may become an end to an application in the future because we do not you know, understand this matter at the moment. If we don't, you know, once we understood this matter, we may be able to create some new applications that will improve our life, yeah. So like, will it improve space discovery? Will it improve aerospace? Like, yeah, definitely. What's, what's, the contribution, what's the contribution for individuals to understand that this discovery is significant and it's important because it can change what and that I think it, that what is what I'm trying to understand. I see. So they basically can change our understanding of the universe. For example, right now we do not know that it, how big the universe is. So what is the mass scale of the universe? We do not understand it exactly. And we also we do not understand the origin of the universe. We do not know that you know what was the start point of universe. Right. So if we do not understand, you know, what is the start point of universe, we will not be able to understand what would be the end point of universe. Right. Mm -hmm. So we do not understand these kind of processes. So we want to understand the evolution of universe, which involved our Earth as well. 
So, you know, and also our solar system. So they're all actually closely related. If we understand the property of the universe more, it will help us to understand the relationship between the Earth and the, and the sun. That will actually help us to probably make us better living on Earth, right? So now we know there are, there are climate changes, we know there are global warming effects, whatever. So we need to understand what is the cost for these kind of effects, right? So in order to understand these, you need to understand the relationship between the star stuff in the universe. Then you want to understand what, it, what, what, what was the origin of this universe? How did they come into uh, a play? Like what do we say today, right? It's a transparent universe, right? We want to understand this kind of stuff. It's more like a fundamental uh, uh, knowledge. So which means there's going to gain fundamental knowledge that will allow human beings to have a better understanding about the universe. That's what right. we can do. Well, and I think to draw it more specifically, I'm going to give like two other very like simple examples of its significance for listeners is, you know, as Elon Musk looks at SpaceX, right, in order to, which was a venture, right, and a dream that he had and a vision he had, but in order to make that dream a reality, it's understanding all the components of the solar system and our relationship to it in order to ensure that discovery happens, right? So I'm relating yeah, it to some to something that people hear a lot in the press or kind of want to understand. It's not just something that we learned in textbooks. You know, like my five-year-old came over came home the other day and she said to I think us as adults, Pluto is no longer a planet. Mm -hmm. And all of us looked at her kind of funny, like, is that a fact or not, because as children, we learned that Pl Pluto was a planet, right? But right. apparently Pluto is no longer a planet. So as adults and as parents, we were all joking that we don't know like what has changed since what we learned last about the solar system when we were small kids, right? No, no, so we were all joking about that is our five-year-old, we couldn't tell if our five-year-old was telling the truth or not, or was being taught wrong information or whether or not she right. had more recent information than we did when we were that age and learning about the solar system. So I think sometimes um, as adults and as those that are listening, we, we don't really understand the relationship the solar system has to us on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so that's the one reason why I was asking the question about like the significance of what you guys are working on, because it is important but it's understanding for the listener how you tie that to our day-to-day -day life because for those of us that aren't physicists or those of us that aren't, um, what I jokingly say, smart enough to figure this stuff out, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Under, it's trying to understand it in terms that we can understand. So that's the only reason that I was asking not to down, definitely not to downplay the research, but definitely to elaborate more for our listeners yeah, yeah, why, I understand. why yes. it's important. And I think what's yes. really interesting is this collaboration that you're working with the Pyre project is how we refer to it um, internally is a around the world collaboration, which I think for a lot of listeners, they don't necessarily know about is that the U S government is funding research that's not just only U.S. based, but could benefit the global community too, which I think is really powerful. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So basically what the National Science Foundation does for this particular program is that it, to build a strong global partnership, then that will utilize the best facility 
and also best resource, right? The best expertise in the field. Then, then you actually can form a consortium. Then you can expose your students to the best, uh, you know, things in the world, right? That would uh, advance our students' knowledge, and it would uh, actually allow students to gain, you know, maximize their knowledge, right? Because they can access the best facility in the world. Not only U.S. That's it, but you can access the facility in Europe, in Asia. So. You know, U.S. probably not necessary to have it, right? Because you, you're not going to, a single country is not going to uh, build everything yourself, right? So sometimes you have these kind of best facility in U.S., but then the other country probably they have their uniqueness, right? So you want to build a partnership so that you can share this kind of resource because those are fundamental uh, physics, right? Fundamental science. <clears throat> so if you work as this manner, so basically, European guys can access U.S. research facility and U.S. expertise, and U.S. can access Europeans' facilities and Europeans' expertise. So now we can share, so we can put our students together and to compete each other. So then they can make U.S. students more competitive. So that's what we're doing, yeah. Well, and I think that's really important and significant too, because oftentimes, like, um, I've been part of conversations where just that from a pr parental perspective, like we notice that science there's, is sometimes lacking um, for students in the U.S. and like other countries sometimes are more advanced in science. And so this is a perfect example where you're talking about a collaboration that's occurring across countries by which countries can share some of their strengths with other countries. And like we can learn from each other, which is actually better use of use of resources because it's the global community that's helping to share versus each individual country that's otherwise competing against another country. Right. Um, I like the thought that the collaboration and the global community is at play in terms of sharing knowledge. And it's not, you know, a zero sum game where we fund it and someone else benefits from it. No, it's all these different parties are collaborating and benefiting from it as a whole. And especially in a pandemic environment, I think there is no zero sum game anymore. We're all losers right now right, in the right. pandemic. Right. And so how can all of us become winners by, you know, actually dialing into more of that collaboration and more of that sharing. And I hope that as people are listening to us talk about that, um, they can consider that, it is really the collaboration of the global community and the fact that research is not only country specific, but you are highlighting a very important point, which is every minute of every day, the US is focused on certain research topics. So are other countries and why not just share that knowledge and share that those learnings versus thinking that we're competing against each other. Right, right. Um, yeah. So in particularly, you know, when we talk about the fundamental uh, uh, physics or fundamental science, right? Mm -hmm. So these are, uh, you know, uh, pretty related to the knowledge of a human beings. So you want to improve the understanding uh, of the universe or improve that uh, fundamental knowledge of a human beings. So these need uh, collaboration. So it needs collaboration to work together. Yeah. And I think what people need to know too is like, I know related to your particular project, like how has evaluation helped you in terms of really identifying like new opportunities or where areas that you need to grow in or improve um, the research or the program, but also like what has really resonated with the funder, like with National Science Foundation in terms of what you've been able to accomplish? 
Right, right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, the original goal is that uh, we're going to build this global partnership. And during the research, there are, you know, uh, new emerging technologies. For example, that one of the institutions, you know, found out there's an uh, emerging technology. When the proposal is out within the collaboration, we can all benefit from it. We can discuss it. Then soon we will know that all oh, this technology may become a major technology in the future. So you can mm-hmm. see that it, through the evaluation or ask people say, what do you think about these kind of creative ideas, right? So you bring people from different institutions, even different cultural backgrounds, and right? people definitely have different, uh, you know, uh, the aspect in terms of uh, explaining nature, right? So if you, if you understand how these people usually explain nature, so how they actually thought about nature. So then when you bring these all things on the table, then we began, you know, we began to discuss it, how we actually can uh, uh, couple our understanding in a, uh, a best way so that we actually can explore more science. So if some, you know, ideas come out, so then people would say, yeah, that probably is because it comes from your cultural background, right? Because they have their own cultural background and then they have their own experience in terms of exploring nature. But now we bring people from different cultures. So then they try to understand how you basically do those things. So now we all understand, oh, that's how you usually deal with the nature. So when we all understand it's not only improve our science knowledge, but it also actually can improve our relationship together, right? Because we can understand each other's cultural background. A lot of problems occurring in the world is the misunderstanding, right? So, you know, some people come from different the cultural background, even, you know, scientists, if you don't know or you don't appreciate other people's cultural backgrounds, because you just do not understand it, you don't have any chance to, you know, exchange their cultural backgrounds, you know, so that you do not know it. So you may think, oh, that's odd. How do you think about the things you know, from your perspective to explain these things, uh, you know, in nature. But because you just don't get a chance to understand how these people, you know, based on their life experience, try to explain the nature. But if we build a collaboration like this, then we put some efforts on understanding each other's cultural backgrounds. And we will all appreciate the other people's cultural backgrounds. So then we respect each other's cultural backgrounds. So then in terms of scientific collaboration, once you have this kind of common sense in your mind, you basically can maximize the collaborative effort, right? So people would are wanting to inter- interact with you or collaborate with you because they think that it, you know you respect them, then they all respect you. So I think it is a very good way to improve the relationship between uh, different community, you know, the, 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 you know, the different groups actually in the world, right? Yeah, and I appreciate that because I think obviously like as people are talking about innovation, or do you, how do you come up with new ideas, new technologies, new opportunities for growth? And especially as companies and institutions are looking for ways to generate new revenue or find new ways of attracting capital. Um, put very simply in the example that you've used, collaboration and sharing of resources is that answer to that. And at the same yeah. time, you're not going to be able to find the new opportunity or the new innovation or new blockbuster, whatever it may be, um, if you aren't collaborating and developing the, that rapport and um, 
intellectual curiosity amongst different parties that come from different cultures and come from different experiences to create the next best thing. So I really appreciate that because I think, you know, what started as a conversation between you, you and I, and me also understanding uh, the breadth of how nuclear physics can relate to our day-to-day lives, especially when we aren't nuclear physicists or we don't really understand it has evolved into a more uh, social dynamic conversation too around um, collaboration and innovation and um, just multi-country work that's going on, but also just being more informed about what the U.S. is also supporting from a, as a global leader too, right, in terms of working with other parties. So exactly. I really appreciate your time, Dong Ming, just for you to explain the research that you're doing and what impact it's having on our lives, because I think oftentimes we don't take the moment to understand what research is taking place and what's going on and how it relates to our day-to-day lives. So I appreciate you giving the example of x-rays and giving the example of things that we can relate to and that we do encounter. I just went for an x-ray a couple weeks ago. So, um, (laughs) That was really helpful for me to understand. So I appreciate your time in doing so. Okay, thank you for the opportunity. Very grateful, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com.
Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.